0: wanted to try and get across. So, um, Last week, while we were here, um, last week we, we talked about the, the ways in which we hear God and how, how we can oftentimes miss what God is saying to us or miss the voice of God in our lives because of, kind of a, a willful forfeiture of the ways in which He speaks to us wanting God to speak in the loud screams and huge, big, miraculous moments where there's no doubt whatsoever that it's Him, and we, we just want like, like want God through a, a bullhorn in our head 100% of the time, where, where God um, um, often speaks in the quiet whisper of life, uh, and how it becomes increasingly important for us to intentionally silence the distraction of life so that our ears are open to hear what god is speaking to us and one of the one of the things that we talked about how was that the one of the most primary ways that god speaks directly to you and i is through his word like oh i don't god never speaks to me i never hear god's voice um god is always speaking to us God is always speaking to us in his word. And so if we are if we are struggling to hear the voice of God, um, it it usually it usually means that we're we're struggling to persevere in the, the discipline of reading God's word or hearing the voice of God in his word. Because um, it is the one of the primary ways that God speaks to us or that we hear God is through his word. Now, I often uh, confess to take take things for granted. Okay, when I when I when I talk about them from up here, and so um, my um, my I want to I want to back step just just maybe a couple steps and then move forward again. Um, one step forward, two steps back. Because uh, I got some questions in this past week about. Um, about like about the Word of God and how we read it. Like, what is the practical, some practical questions. Um, and here, here's one of them. Okay, Pastor Cameron, I hear you say that we hear the voice of God by reading the Word of God, but I'm going to be perfectly honest with you, um, I don't have any experience with this book, and I have no idea what to do or where to start. Like, I believe you. I get it. But, but help me. Because, I, usually what I do is I just, and just start reading. And while that's never a bad plan, okay, I will tell you that there are, uh, practically speaking, some ways in which we can create um, a little bit better of a system. So, um, I want to give you like two really practical ways. If you are in this, if you are in this, um, if you are in this position where you're like, I really want to dig more into God's word, but I don't have much familiarity with God's word. I wasn't uh, I just come to Christ. or I wasn't wasn't brought up in the church, and I don't know what to do. Here, um, here are some ways. Here are some things that we can do. But first, I want to talk to those who do have familiarity with God's word and who are still. You still like, have um, some difficulty of like, what do I do? Where do I start? How do I, how do I engage the Word of God? And I will tell you this once a day, um, once a day, every day, um, here's what we can do we're going to read three, tra- three chapters. Okay? Um, you have the, can you the next slide? There you go. If you have good familiarity with the Bible but need a fresh plan, okay? Every day we're going to do this. We're going to start. I'm going to read one chapter in the Old Testament, so like Genesis 1, right? And then on day one, I'm going to read Genesis 1, I'm going to read Psalms 1, and I'm going to read Matthew chapter 1. All right, so we hit like a vast, we, we hit a variety, okay? um, But we are working through in um, kind of a sequential order. A way in which we can read through the Bible. Now, if you're on the other side of that and you don't have um, a lot of familiarity with uh, the Word of God, you're just growing in your relationship with Jesus, um, and you're you're just beginning to develop the discipline of hearing God through Scripture. I want to um, I would tell you to do this, and this was my advice to several people this past week. We tend to look at a book like this and get overwhelmed because there's so much, right? Where do we start? How do we process it? How do we read it? Um, if you haven't yet developed the discipline of reading the Scripture, here's what I want you to do is I want you to not look at the whole, not, not think you have to bite off the whole chunk, chew it and swallow it all at once right now. In fact, I want you to take the first year from now until a year from now, and I want you to read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, exclusively for the next year. I mean, like, well, there's so much else in, like, the whole Bible. There's, like, all these other books. There's, like, 62 other books besides that. And yes, I get that, and I understand that. As your pastor, I'm giving you permission to skip those until next week, okay? Okay? and to read only in the gospels or the narratives the stories of Jesus for the next year. And you can read as much of the you can read as much in one day as you want. But if you read all of Matthew, all of Mark, all of Luke, all of John in one day and you're like, "Well, what do I do on day 2?" Do it again. Right? What do I do on day 3? Do it again. If you read the gospels 365 times between now and next year, we're going to count that a big win. And I'm going to tell you this right now, that when you saturate yourself in the gospel of Jesus Christ, his voice will become absolutely undeniable in your spirit. Because one, you're engaging in his word, but two, you're going to have such a keen awareness of the life, ministry, heart of Jesus Christ, who is the incarnated word of God, that it will be next to impossible to miss when God is speaking to you. So if you are struggling in a, a discipline to develop a discipline of reading God's Word, just like feast on the banquet of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as much as you possibly can. I will also say this, and I am like right on the edge, like where when I was born, I am like right on the edge of being like a millennial, but still being kind of like a, the borderline old guy. Um, I used to be able to make jokes at ministry about how young I was. I'm not anymore. I'm like beat up and old. Um, but I am. Um, if you're if you are in this camp of people who are like, man, I really struggle to get into the word daily and to remain focused and to I want to pursue a relationship with Jesus and Scripture, but But I really struggle with it, and I'm I'm constantly distracted. All right, Um, while I while I personally believe that things like you take out your phone and you have like a Bible app or a Bible reading program on your phone, and you read the scripture on your phone every day, um, certainly that is better than nothing, of course, right? But if I was going to if I was going to counsel someone on the most undistracted way to read the Word of God, it would not be on the thing, on the device, that usually distracts people the most. Okay? Um, Because there is something tactile to flipping the pages. Right? There's something undistracted about not having um, three notifications ding up on your phone as you're reading the Word. Or taking a break in between paragraphs to check Instagram or your email. All right? And so, I know that kind of like flies in the face of everything that is hip and trendy and millennial, but I'm going to tell you right now, I recommend a real paper, words in front of you, pencil and journal in hand, Bible study and reading discipline, especially if your phone is a source of regular distraction for you. Especially. And that doesn't mean like Bible here, phone here means like Bible here, phone there, you know like get it away from you, different room don't hear it dinging, don't see it dinging, okay Um, here's like listen, I want you to experience fruit and success however that's measured in the developing discipline of reading God's word, because I believe that it will change your life plain and simple, right uh, I believe that, that getting into God's Word, letting God's Word soak and seep down into every crack and crevice of who we are will change you from the inside out. Our number one core value here uh, is that Jesus is everything and the gospel changes it all, right? And when we soak our lives in the gospel of Jesus Christ, everything will change. And if everything changes in us, guess what? Everything's going to start to change in your family. And if everything changes in your family, everything's going to start to change in your extended family. And then everything's going to start to change in your workplace. And then things are going to start to change in your church or in your community and in your neighborhood and then in your city and then in your region. And we believe that our plans, uh, we, we, I, I believe that, that our plans to affect the city of Jamestown with the gospel of Jesus Christ is so absolutely minuscule and small in comparison to God's plans. Like God's plans are so much greater than even I can hope, dream, or imagine for this area. There was, there, there, there was one um, scripture that we read last week, or we kind of referenced it last week in the book of 2 Timothy, Um, 2 Timothy was a letter that Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote to his, like, protege pastor, Timothy, and he wrote two of them, and they were kind of instructive, both practically in organizing and leading the church, but also a little bit more just, like, encouraging, like, hey, don't give up on the gifts that God has given you, he has not given you a spirit of fear, um, but like, just like keep going, Timothy, keep going, keep going. God is, God is equipping you, God is giving you everything that you need. I believe in you, I'm praying for you. Oh, and hey, by the way, let me just drop this in here about the word of God before we go any further. And he says this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 16. He says, Hey, Timothy, the word of God, Scripture, right? They're able to make you wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. All Scripture, 2 Timothy verse 3, or chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture is God-breathed. Meaning like God has, God has breathed His life into Scripture. That it is, not, it is not a static thing, words on the page, black and white, right, will someday fade away or go away. It is the, the very nature and character of God, the life of God, has been breathed into the Scriptures. So it is now alive. And not only is it alive and God breathed, but it's useful. It is, it is useful for teaching. It is use, useful for rebuking. It is, it is useful for correcting. It is useful for training in righteousness and Next week we're going to talk about what like what the differences in those things are. How does the word of God, how is the word of God formative in teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training us in righteousness? So that the person of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. See, the what what Paul essentially says to Timothy here, he says, Look, Timothy, the word of God when we, when we leverage the power of God, when we leverage the life of God that is breathed into a scripture, that the, that the word of God becomes formative for us. It actually begins to form us into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. It makes us a, an, an image and picture of righteousness, training us in righteousness, thoroughly equipping us for every good work. And so when we use the word of God as, as God designed it to be used, he breathed his life into it, right? it becomes a formative exercise for us. It becomes an active way for us to move, I guess you could say, forward. But what I really want to talk to you about this morning is this, is that not only is the Word of God formative, and we'll talk about that next week, but the Word of God um, is defensive as well. The Word of God is defensive, not just formative, but defensive. And it is defensive against the lies of the enemy. There's nothing more that our enemy, Satan, would love to do and has really set his existence about to do than to take a lie. Mask it in truth and then plant it into your heart and hope it grows. And sometimes he feeds that lie. And sometimes he waters that lie. Right? God is mad at you. You should be ashamed of yourself. Right? Um, you should really be afraid in this situation because there's no way God will take care of you. Gather as much as you can and hoard it together because someday um, you're not going to have enough and you can't trust God to provide for you. And so he takes little lies, leveraging what we, he already knows about our weaknesses, masks them in some form of truth, plants them deep into our hearts and hopes that they grow. And the outgrowth of lie produces fruit, right? that it has all kinds of consequences, both mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual in our lives. But the word of God both is and can be used for defensive purposes against the lies of the enemy. Well, pastor, that's a great idea, but do you have examples? I'm so glad you asked, because in fact I do. Um, And I, I I don't have just a example. I have like the example of the way in which the word of God or scripture is used for defensive purposes when the enemy is seeking to plant lies into your life. And that's from the life of Jesus. Jesus experienced this very thing. He was not immune to the attempt of the enemy to plant lies in his life. And when when Jesus was faced with the the shiny lie of the enemy, the question is, how did he use the word of God? Or how did he defend himself against that? Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. should be up on the screen for you as well. Right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor, All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Now listen, this is not a comprehensive example of all of the forms of temptation or lies that the enemy tries to speak into your life. But it certainly is instructive in a few particular ways, and I wanna highlight some of those. The very first thing that the enemy did with Jesus was come to him in an obvious moment of physical weakness, okay? And tried to leverage that weakness to allow the lie to take root in his life, right? What was the weakness that Jesus was experiencing here? Well, the Word says that Jesus had been in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, had been fasting for that time, and he was what? Hungry. Captain Obvious, Matthew, right? Writes that after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. There was this physical weakness, right? Or, or um, this like opening that the enemy saw. He saw weakness and he tried to exploit it. He tried to exploit the weakness that Jesus was experiencing. How did Jesus respond? He tried to, he tried to use that weakness to, like, to twist Jesus' understanding of whether or not he could trust the Father to take care of his, even his physical needs what he essentially said is, hey, um, Jesus, I know you're really hungry. Um, it doesn't look like you have anything to eat. Um, or, that, or that God, the Father, is really going to provide anything for you. Why don't you just, because you're hungry, right? Rationalizing. Why don't you just turn these stones into bread? And we can just be done with this whole hunger thing. You don't, don't trust the process to God. Um don't trust don't, don't don't trust that he will provide for you. Jesus responded, of course. Um, it is written, hey hey listen man, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus responded essentially, look, hey listen, I I trust in the Father to meet my needs. I don't need to rely on the bread that you say I should like Concocted out of midair here. The second thing that he did, right? The second temptation was this: the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, um, and and this is kind of like, can you can you hear in the words of the enemy, the, like like the sarcasm and like the goading of the enemy here towards Jesus. Like, well, I know that you're the son of God, right? And like, you got all kinds of power and you got all kinds of authority in heaven. You can really do anything that you want. So if, if, you're, if, you're, the, if you're the son of God, why don't you just like kind of puff up in this moment? Show everyone that's standing here, show me like how much power that you have. Throw yourself off the building and then just like command the angels to come and like save you in this moment. The, The enemy here played to the prospect or the possibility of Jesus having like an unhealthy level of pride in who he was. Of course, Jesus responds once again. Jesus answered, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Well, the devil was going to try one more time. In verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give to you if you will bow down and worship me. Satan offered Jesus or tempted him with the allure of power, right? Look at all this. Look at all the kingdoms, right? Look at everything that you could have. All you need to do, bow down and worship me, I'll give it to you. I'll give it all to you. The allure of power, look at what you will have. Just think of what you could do, the influence that you could have. If you just received this, just like this little compromise, right? Just, you do this, I'll give you this. Here's the thing, uh, listen, Here's the thing about sin in your life, about temptation in your life. Temptation always overpromises and underdelivers. 100 percent of the time.? Right? Because Satan one didn't have the authority to give what was not his to give, right? So he overpromises. I'm going to give you all this, right? With the allure that it's going to make everything better. Hey, just do this. Say this. Take part in this. Enter that relationship. Go over here and do that. Live your life this way. It's going to be so much better. I know it doesn't seem like it right now, but it will. Sin will always overpower, or um, overpromise and underdeliver. Jesus says to him, listen, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God only, and serve Him only. And then the devil left him and the angels came and attended to him. I ran through that kind of quick. Not because I want to draw out a certain instance from each one of those, but so that we could get to this point here. Listen, in each instance that Jesus faced temptation, faced the allure of pride, the allure of power, faced, like, the leveraging of a physical weakness in his life. In each instance, Jesus responded with a proclamation of God's word or God's truth. Satan tempted. Satan offered something. Jesus, oh, I'm just going to ignore what he says, right? Just try and think about something else. Think, 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 think. Something else, something else, something else, something else, something else. Something else. Distract. Distract, distract, distract. Think of my grandma in her underwear. Think of anything, right? Just, like, change your mind. Do we or do we not think this way? I mean, am I, like, I don't think about my grandma in her underwear, but you know what I'm saying, right? Like, like, temptation comes into our into our life, right? Like, we can, you know, like, imagine this temptation coming into your life, right? And we recognize it for what it is. Like Paul said, the things that we don't want to do, those are the things that we actually do. We know we want to go this way, but we feel drawn to go this way, and so what are we trying to do? i got to think about something else. Uh, i got to think about something else. Quick, 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 quick. Get out of my mind. Get out of my mind. Distract myself. Think about do something else. Not the strategy of Jesus. Not the strategy of Jesus at all. Not like a, oh, distract myself, mask it, try and move on to something else. But no, the, the strategy of Jesus in the face of temptation was to proclaim the word of God against it. The truth of God against the lie that the enemy was trying to make true in his life. Jesus responds with a proclamation of God's word, of God's truth. But listen... Satan is crafty little devil no pun intended and he sees oh okay Um, I see that Jesus is using the word of God as a defensive tool against temptation I know what I'll do I'll use the word of God then as a tool to drive him into temptation he does this Satan uses it right in verse 6, If you're the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. He uses Jesus' own line against him. For it's written, He will command His angels concerning you, they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. By the way, that was in Psalm 91, Jesus, in case you didn't know. one of the, Some of the most insidious and strongest forms of temptation or some of the most insidious forms of evil is when evil disguises itself or when a lie disguises itself as truth. God wants you to be really happy. God wants you to feel good. God wants you God wants this so so just if you just do this, it'll be okay. Because it's not really it's not really that like that bad. And there are like our there are worse things that you could do, right? And there are worse decisions that you could make, or you could be like them, or you could be like that person I know, or you could be like this. Like it's really okay. And um evil will do anything that it can to mask itself in like truth or even half truth and so then we think well it's like half true it's like mostly true or I can make a when you're, listen when you're trying to talk yourself into something you know you shouldn't do something you are about to say that you know you shouldn't, well it's okay that I'm going to say this because I'm really angry and they need to hear it and they deserve... Someone, someone's someone got to tell them, right? Um, walk very carefully, right? Because the enemy is always working overtime to ensure that his lies are glossed over with a, with a slick coating of truth or seemingly rightness, right? So that that gets planted in who you are. Now this presents like a tricky situation right because like well if the enemy is going to use the word of God against me then how in the world do I survive I'm like I'm doomed Um, no you're not you're not doomed right Um, what was well Jesus what was Jesus's response well Jesus's response was one to like essentially know what Satan was actually doing and respond again with the truth of God's word, right? Jesus answered, hey, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. I have read this and I don't know personally because um, I'm I'm no longer a secret service agent um, but I have read this about the training that secret service agents go through. You know the, the secret service, they're a they, they actually are a part of the Department of Treasury, right? You know this? So, like, if you are producing counterfeit $20 bills, right, um, the people who are going to knock on your doors, like, not the FBI or anything like that, it's going to be the Secret Service. And um, one, of the, one of the aspects of training that the Secret Service go through is an extensive portion of training um, that helps them... To detect or determine what a counterfeit bill looks like. What does it look like? The main, like the main piece, like the the main thing that they study to determine the difference between or to determine what is counterfeit and what is not, is they don't actually study counterfeit bills. You know what they study? The real ones, right? They, they, take, they take the real deal, right? And like literally under a microscope, they study every single millimeter of that thing. They become experts. They, they pour over it over and over and over and over again. So that when they encounter something that is counterfeit, they are so absolutely keenly aware because they have spent so much time studying the real McCoy. Like it is is undeniable what is true and what is false. See, because the reality is when it comes to when it comes to the way that the enemy works, is that the enemy, the only tool that the enemy has is deception. He's not sovereign like God is, right? He is not all powerful like God is. He is not supreme like God is. The only tool that the enemy has is deception, is lies, right? In fact, that uh, John, John says in, uh, or Jesus says, in the gospel of john chapter 8 verse 44 that he paraphrasing of course that essentially that the the native that lying is the native language of satan like you know satan is lying when his lips are moving that is his that is his that is not just one of his tools that is his only tool he is the father of lies he is the master of deception and so it is when that th- that's all he has and so it is how, how do i know then what when when the enemy is speaking a lie into my life, when the, when the enemy is trying to speak like deception into my life. I'll tell you this, the number one way to know whether it's a truth or whether it's a lie Master's truth is to be keenly, um, to be keenly, uh, like to know so well the real thing. If we are not regularly in the Word of God, asking the Spirit of the Lord to reveal the truth of His Word to our hearts and plant it deep down so it takes root and produces fruit, then then we are likely to fall victim to the deceptive strategies of the enemy that seek to use even the Word of God to mask over a lie getting us to believe it. one thing that I want to like I want to point out about Jesus experience here is that it and go, only goes so far. right? This like cycle of temptation only goes so far because like a third time comes around and the enemy, uh, Satan tempts Jesus with power, right? Power he doesn't have to give, but he's dece- trying to deceive Jesus, right? And um, Jesus answered once again, it is written, away from me satan worship the lord your god only or worship the lord your god and serve him only in verse 11 then the devil left him and angels came and attended him when we flood when we flood our lives with the truth of god's word there is no fertile soil for a lie to take root. So every time the, lie, the seed of the lie comes in and tries to get planted in our heart and soul, right? If we are flooding our heart and soul with the word of God, there is no place for that lie to take root. And so that lie gets washed away and like flushed out by God's truth. It is tantamount, or to what happens here in, in uh, Matthew chapter four, where the enemy is like, finally like, well, I'm gaining no ground here. I'm not getting anywhere. There is no fertile soil of dis- there is no fertile soil for the seed of deception to take root. right? Because this life is so flooded with the truth of God's word that I, I literally cannot gain an inch. And I have faith to believe that that's not just the Jesus thing. Like, oh, that was, that's because it was just Jesus. Jesus didn't pull any I'm the Son of God trump cards here. He, 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 didn't, he didn't be like, bro, you know who I am? Go away. Nothing like that, right? It was completely 100%. Look, here's the truth. Okay, again, here's the truth again. No, 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 you don't understand. This is the truth. Stop trying to deceive me. You have nothing to offer me. I know the truth. And then I was like, yeah, I guess you're kind of right. Bye. This is not just like a strategy that is only available to Jesus. This is a strategy that is available to every man, woman, and child that would desire to have their life flooded by the truth of God's Word. And so God's Word becomes not just a formative thing, but it now becomes a defensive thing against the lie and the deception of the enemy. The Apostle Paul references this um, as well. In his letter to the Ephesians, when he's talking about like, how a believer is armed against the attack of the enemy, he, he says in, in uh, Ephesians 6, verse 17, I think it is, that, that the, if you picture a believer as wearing armor, right? Where they have a shield, and a breastplate, and a helmet, and a belt and sandals. Well, those are all like kind of like defensive, get away from the fight type of things. And he says, and also they have the word of God which is the sword of the spirit. Now, I don't know what kind of circles you run in, but normally a sword for me is an offensive weapon, right? I carry my sword for offense. Carry a sword as an offensive weapon, and so, and so, um, there is a there is an offensive purpose to the word of God, not just a formative purpose like we like we kind of like church traditionally um, thinks of it, like oh you need to read the Bible so you learn how to be a better Christian. That's garbage, okay? That but the scripture is. Literally containing the life and breath of God. And it stands not just formatively in our lives, but defensively against the lies of the enemy. And it, it is it is a flood of truth so that the lies of the enemy cannot take root. Now, how do we how do we like make a practical case for this? Sort of like, okay, how, how do I read this book? What do I do if I've don't have any familiar with it. So, again, not a comprehensive example, but I want to give you like a few examples, all right? Do you think, can we all come to an agreement that it's fairly clear that Jesus had the Word of God memorized? Yeah? You can call, okay. So, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the bold statement here, right? That we should probably memorize portions, at least, of God's word. Now, does that mean start memorizing all sixty-six books? Right. I mean, hey, have at it. Right. Like, go for it. Um, but what I do know is, I don't know about you, but I know, I know, where I am susceptible. To the eyes of the enemy taking root. I know the areas in my heart. I know the areas in my life where the enemy is constantly speaking lie. All the time. Sometimes it's in like my my mental state. Sometimes like it's emotionally. Sometimes it's in my relationships with my wife or my kids or my co-workers or whomever. Sometimes it's physically, right? That there's Always this assault of lies. Well, um, if I know where I'm vulnerable, I know where my weaknesses are, let's let's build some strengths around my weaknesses so when the enemy comes to pull the old familiar lever of temptation in this area of my life, I've already started flooding that area with God's truth and it just doesn't take root anymore. All right? So I'm going to give you a few examples, okay? And, um, and uh, I understand that this is not going to hit all the points, all right? But here are a few examples. Um, <laughs> how many people um, wake up in the morning and, um, and your mind just tells you, oh, you're going to be anxious today. Just letting you know. Well, anxious about what? It doesn't matter. Everything. Everything. What am I going to be anxious about? Uh, I don't know. Make something up. Just be anxious today. Okay? All day. Anxiety over everything. Every conversation, every word, every relationship. Uh, think about things that happened five years ago that have no consequence now. Be anxious about that, too, please. Right? Does your mind ever do that to you? No. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, right. <laughs> Everything is perfect, everyone is perfectly at peace. I got it. Um, all right, you're going to be anxious today, right? And so the enemy is telling you, hey, hey, be anxious and, and be worried about it because it's, it's super, super important. And if you don't sit there and worry about it all day long and let it consume your mind and thoughts, then you're not doing anything about it. And it's going to get worse if you don't think about it all day. And so just, I need you to keep thinking about it, and keep thinking, actually I need you to think about it so much that you're so distracted from everything else in life that you can't have healthy relationships. You're not at peace, ever. You have no reason to be thankful. You don't even want to pray, because you're so consumed with a thing that happened that you have no control of. So just go ahead and be anxious today, okay? Thanks, bye. I don't know about you, but like cycles of anxiety can just hit and run and roll and roll and roll and roll. Like, why am I thinking this? Why can't I get out of this cycle? Right? What do we need to remember? Like, we need need some, like, the truth of God's word to, like, flood our mind so that that that, that seed cannot take root. Philippians chapter 4. Verses 6 and 7, you know where I'm going. You're going to take out a note card this week. You're going to take out 10 note cards, and you're going to write this verse on 10 note cards. You're going to put one on your mirror, and you're going to put one on your steering wheel, and you're going to put one above your kitchen sink. and You're going to put one in the back of your phone. And you're going to put one in your pocket. and You're going to put one here and one there and one there. However many places you need to put it so that wherever you go throughout your day, no matter what you're doing, it's like a whole flooding Of the truth of God's word. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. And let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Hey, uh, you need to be anxious uh, today. I don't think so. uh, Because the peace of God... The peace of God. It transcends all understanding and today the peace of God will guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. Well, geez, someone turned over a new leaf, the, the enemy says. right? Well, exactly. Right? We're going to flood our heart, flood our mind with the word of God. Uh, hey, Um, Welcome to to the morning. What I'm going to need you to do today is live in a constant state of fear about everything. Okay. Going to be afraid about your health. Going to be afraid about your finances. Going to be afraid that you're not going to be able to provide for your family. I need you to be afraid that no one likes you. Right? I need you to be afraid to leave your house. I I need you to be afraid. 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 Actually, be so afraid that you're paralyzed to do absolutely every, anything and everything in life. Have new relationships. Start that new business. Say something to the friend that you wanted to say to for a long time. Just be afraid, please, about anything. And if you don't have anything to be afraid about, I just want you to live with a looming sense of fear over you. Okay? Completely ridiculous, right? Right? so horribly heavy and true for so many people. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. I'm going to read it up here. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. Note cards, all right? Buy yourself a pack of note cards. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Hey, you need to be afraid of that. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Um, I do not fear. Because the Lord is my God. I will be strengthened. He is going to help me. The Lord is going to uphold me with his righteous right hand. What can man do to me? Right? Um, another one, I think it was from 2 Timothy I had here. Yeah, 2 Timothy verse 1, or chapter 1, verse 7. For a spirit, the Spirit of God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, And self-discipline. The spirit that the Lord has given us is not a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and of love. Well, I'm just kind of a fearful, always worried, always nervous person. That ain't from God. That ain't from God. Because the spirit that he's given to you is not one of fear and timidity, but is of power and of love and of self-discipline. Um, How about this? Anyone ever live in the constant fear or like, I don't have enough? Hey, I want to let you know things are running out in your life. You don't have enough money. You don't have enough gifts. You don't have enough time. Um, You need to do, work extra hard. Maybe squirrel away a little bit more over here. um, Because if you don't do it for you, no one else is going to do it for you and you're going to someday run out of everything, and it's going to be a major, major disaster. Jesus goes through this long kind of, I won't call it a diatribe, but this long speech in um, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, where he ends essentially with these words. Well, I mean, we can read the whole section if you're cool with that. Are you cool with that? That's getting kind of late. Eh, whatever. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Why do you worry about clothes? Do you see how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of those. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? I don't have enough. 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 enough. For pagans run after these things. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. Listen, right here. This is the gem. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well what about this, what about this, what about this, what about this, I gotta do this, I gotta get this, I gotta get this, I gotta get this, I gotta strive, I gotta work, I gotta work, I I, I, I can't get it all, sorry Billy, can't get it all myself, right? That's a lie. I'm gonna seek first his righteousness and then all of those things that I think I need to like squirrel away and provide for myself He is going to take care of that. I will will seek for My number one priority will be righteousness. And all of these things will be added as well. Uh, Last but certainly not least, uh, physical temptation. When we have uh, physical temptation, addiction addiction to substances addiction to pornography things where we feel like we are overwhelmed with a physical desire and need that that like it it could make you it could, like i have to do this i must right i have to do this to feel normal i have to do this to feel relaxed i have to do this to escape the reality of my thoughts, the reality of my life, the reality of, of what's going on around me. This is a way for me to cope. That is, It is a lie that the enemy has told you you need to cope in that way. Because what the Word of God says, the Word of God says, Paul says, in a couple of different places, Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 8, He says this, you, um, you are not controlled by your sinful nature. I have to do this. I have to look at that. I have to drink that. I have to use that substance. I have to do it. It's the only thing that I know to do. The only way that I know how to go about my life. You are not a slave. You are not a slave. The Spirit of the Lord has set you free from slavery to the things that will will only cause death. We are not controlled by our sinful nature but by the Spirit of God. Romans chapter 6. Let's look at this and then we'll close. Okay. And listen, I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me. You all know, I've said it, I think, a bunch of times, that I have had addiction issues in my life. Okay? I, I am not without, like, the personal understanding of how tricky... And how razor thin this conversation is, okay? You're like, oh no, you just need to be like not controlled by that anymore. And that's not what I'm. I'm not saying it's that simple, okay? What I am saying is that we are not, uh, we are not without healing, um, freedom, and power through the Spirit of the Lord, okay? You are not left without any. Recourse, even in the midst of physical temptation, like, well, I have to do that because I like it. Just it just controls me, right? Um, Romans chapter six, verses eighteen through twenty-two. You have been set free. Those if you, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ for your for your salvation, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to something else, righteousness. I, Paul says, I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. But what benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you are now ashamed of? Those things only result in death. But now, but now, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. And probably the number one, the number one verse that I, that I, um, that like I used to flood my mind, as I was, as I was like dealing with my own struggle with addiction, was Romans chapter eight verse nine. And I don't know how many times I I I, I still say it. I I still like over and over and over and over and over and over again. Romans chapter eight verse nine. You however are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. I am not controlled by my sinful nature, I am controlled by the spirit. You really need to have a drink today, it's pretty stressful. Mm -mm, I'm not controlled by that sinful desire. I'm controlled by the Spirit. You know, you'd probably be able to, you know, you could clear your mind, you could maybe sleep a little bit better, you'd be a little bit more fun in social circles and stuff like that. If you just, like, just had a drink or two. I am not controlled by my sinful nature. I am controlled by the Spirit. I am not a slave to the things that caused only death in my life. I am a slave to righteousness. I am a slave to holiness. That will result in eternal life. Don't feed me this lie that I need to do X in order to have X. That's crap. It's, li- it's a lie. And I will flood it with truth every single time. I am not controlled by that. I am controlled by the Spirit of God. I am controlled by holiness. I am controlled by righteousness, not by my sinful nature. We must flood our lives with the truth of God's word so that the seed of deception that the enemy seeks to plant has no place to take root. We cannot do it on our own. You cannot cannot willpower yourself through temptation. Jesus couldn't do it. This was Jesus' strategy. Okay? Okay? Let me pray for us as we um, invite the worship team back up. As always, following, uh, following worship this morning, if you would like prayer for anything, um, come up front here and we will spend some time praying over you and with you. Heavenly Father, um, there is a big chunk of stuff this morning. Like, and I even am feeling a little overwhelmed. Like, how do we walk away carrying something? Or how do we walk away in victory? Lord, I I pray that you... um, I pray, Father, that we would have a keen awareness... That we do not we do not need to win anything. Lord, you, you, ha- you already have victory in Jesus Christ, given us victory in Jesus Christ. Lord, that by faith in Christ we are filled with the Spirit of Christ. And we have victory in and through Jesus Christ already. Lord, if we are sitting in discouragement this morning. Father, I pray that you would flood out that lie with the truth. Lord, that we are dearly and earnestly loved as children of our Father. That not only do you desire freedom in our lives? Lord, but that you are fighting for freedom in our lives. Lord, that you are not mad, ashamed, or standing in a place of condemnation for the battles that we feel like we have constantly lost or fight against. But instead, Lord, you stand side by side, Sometimes you stand in front. Willing to fight with us and for us. Lord, I pray this morning that the seed that is planted is a seed of deep passion and desire for your word. A hunger for your truth. Lord, that each person hearing my voice this morning would walk away with the same words that Jesus did, that I do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Lord, that we would feast on Your Word this week. Lord, that we would flood our lives with the truth of Your Word. Lord, that it would that it would flow over the soil of our hearts. Lord, that it would seep down into every crack or crevice that we've allowed the enemy to plant a lie, Lord, and then it would flood and flush out everything that does not lead to holiness and righteousness and Christlikeness, Father. Lord, we desire nothing more than you. We need nothing more than you. We worship you, Lord. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.